So we're in a series called Investigating Jesus, and today we're going to talk about hell. Uh, since it smells like smoke in there, I thought we would talk about hell in here. So that was kind of the strategy behind that. Um, it's one of those topics that's really uncomfortable. Um, I grew up in Southern Baptist churches, and there was, you know, there were hellfire and brimstone preachers, and and um, they almost acted like they were happy that some people were going there. I don't think that's God's attitude toward it. And so today we're going to try to answer some questions about it. Uh, it is a really difficult topic, but we're investigating the things that Jesus said. And he said a lot about hell. I mean, he said a ton about it. In fact, he talked more about hell than he did heaven. And so if we're going to give Jesus an audience, and if we're going to investigate him completely, we shouldn't pick and choose the stuff that we like and discard the stuff that we don't like. And so I don't like the topic of hell. I don't, I, if I'd never have to preach about it again, I'll, I'll, it'll be fine with that. But Jesus talked about it, so we're going to talk about it too. All right, so let me begin with a joke because I want to loosen it up just a little bit, okay? Because it's like, it's almost too much. Sometimes the topic is so heavy, you have to kind of release a little bit. So there's this politician, and he's uh, hit by a truck, and tragically he dies. And that's a hard sentence to say because, I mean, is that really that bad? But anyway, uh, 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 that, that, that wasn't very Christian. Uh, so uh, as my aunt would say. So he finds himself at the pearly gates, and he's greeted by St. Peter, and Peter says, we're not used to seeing politicians up here. Uh, we don't exactly know what to do with you, so wait here, and I'm going to go confer with the higher-ups, and I'll come back, and I'll tell you how we're going to handle it. He comes back, and he says, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Uh, the higher-ups have decided that you're going to spend a day in hell, and you're going to spend a day in heaven, and then you get to pick. And the politician's like, well, I want to pick now. I'll pick heaven. He goes, no, you have to do one a day in each place. And so they send, uh, they send this guy in the elevator. He goes down to hell. The door's open, and he is amazed. It's this luscious golf course. And it's like Augusta. I mean, it's like, you know, there, there are flowers and trees, and it's beautiful. And over here is a nightclub, and he sees some of his politician friends who've passed it along already. And he goes and greets them, and they're well-dressed. And, and, and he plays a round of golf, and then he goes to the nightclub, and he has a, he has a lobster, you know, and some caviar. And they, 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 they laugh late into the night, and before he knows it, the day is over. And he's had quite a stay in hell. And he gets in the elevator, and he goes up, and he gets to heaven, and heaven is fine. Uh, people floating on clouds, you know, with their harps, and uh, they're kind of floating and chilling, and uh, they, it's okay. It's like they, they have uh, elevator music going, you know, and it's all stuff you know, but no words, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so that, that kind of, it lasts a day, and he's okay. And, and so then St. Peter says, okay, okay, now you have to make a decision. It's decision time. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? And the guy says, well, you know, I know what my answer is supposed to be. Uh, I, I know I'm supposed to pick heaven, but i got to be honest with you. I think I prefer, I think I fit better in hell. And Peter says, so be it. So he gets in the elevator, he goes down, the door's open. This time the scene is vastly different. It's a barren wasteland, and there's a dump over here, and all his friends who were immaculately dressed the day before are now picking through the garbage. 
and they look sad, and, and it, it's just a whole different scene. And, and so the politician gets out, and he, he says to the, the devil, what's going on? Yesterday, this was a golf course, and, and, and it was perfect, and now it's this. And the devil said, well, yesterday we were campaigning. Today, we've got your vote. <laughs> All right. That's a horrible joke. Okay, all right. You're very gracious people for laughing at that. I tell good stuff sometimes, and you're like, I don't think that's funny. Okay, all right. So Jesus, let's jump in, okay? Jesus. Now, this isn't like somebody else. This is Jesus himself says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And remember, Son of Man, now Jesus calls himself this. Uh, the Son of Man is a title that Daniel sort of talked about uh, for the uh, Messiah. And so Jesus is claiming he's the Messiah here. He's also connected to humanity. And so that when the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself, comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And when I read this verse, I think about my mom and pinto beans. And if you grew up in the South, uh, your mama would get your pinto beans and she'd pour them out on the table and she had to separate them because amongst the beans are some little stones, right? I, I conferred with a, an old lady, uh, first service, and she said, yes. Uh, so that's how it goes. And I don't know if you still have to do that. Do you still have to do that, younger people? Okay, yes, okay. So I, I can still see my mama separating the beans from the stones because this is what I know about rocks. No matter how long you boil them, they'll still break your teeth. All right, so you got to know that. That, that, that's, that's, that's straight from the Lord. Uh, no matter how long you boil the rocks, they'll still break your teeth. All right, so he's separating. So if Jesus were to write this today, he might say uh, it's like a, a woman preparing a meal with pinto beans. And she puts the good beans on the right, and she puts the stones on the left. And then he goes on. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then to those on his left, he will say, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And this is the topic Jesus talks about and the Bible talks about, the New Testament is talked about 54 times, this, this idea of hell. C.S. Lewis, who was this brilliant Christian thinker who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, he was just amazing in his mind. He one time said, if there was one, uh, one doctrine of Christianity I would get rid of, it's the doctrine of hell, but I can't because it's in the New Testament. And Jesus talks about it so much. And Jesus talked about it a lot. And here's what we all need to understand. I think most people know you spend uh, eternity someplace. Now, there are those who think that you just sort of quit. You, you live and then you cease. But I believe the vast majority of us intuitively realize there's got to be something more. Now, we're Americans. We have it made compared, compared to lots of people in the world today. I mean, we have food. 
Most of us have a place to live, you know. Uh, uh, we have rights. We have freedom of speech. We have freedom to do things. There are countries in the world today, there are millions upon millions and billions of people today who live in situations where they have very little freedom, very little food, and they must be thinking to themselves, there's got to be something better than this. And so intuitively we know, I think, that uh, you spend eternity someplace. So the question is, where are you going to spend eternity? And we're going to ask this question, several questions today. One is, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? It is one of the most pronounced, one of the most difficult questions to, to think about because it doesn't seem consistent with a loving God. Except, except, there's a verse in Scripture, you probably know it, John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, you know it, that whoever believes in him will not perish. In fact, if someone goes to hell, it's over Jesus' dead body. Over and over and over in Scripture. Let me show you a couple. Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends, writes, The Lord is patient with you, we looked at this verse last week, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Um, Timothy, another one of Jesus' followers, says, The Lord wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And Jesus himself said, God did not send his son, speaking of himself, into the world to condemn it, but to save it. If... A person goes to hell, it's over Jesus' dead body. Just, he just doesn't want it. Jesus is basically saying if you go to hell, you're going to have to walk around the cross to get there. Now, some people do that. In fact, look, I've got, I don't have my phone with me, but on my phone I have an app called Waze. You might have that. It's a directional app, and it tells you how to get places. And there's a setting on my Waze app that if I want to, I can avoid, um, I can avoid the interstate. <laughs> which I do uh, want to avoid. So I had, I had pushed that on. I don't know why. For some reason, I was going someplace. And I had forgotten that it was on. And uh, Elise had a game in York, like 900 miles away from here, in York. And my little, my little, uh, my little Waze app uh, was taking me through towns I've never heard of before, never want to go through again. I mean, I, you can get where you want to go, but your route you know, can be kind of crazy. And there are people who are choosing to not go to heaven. Just like that little joke at the beginning, although it was bad, the point was kind of good that you get to choose. Now, question number two is, if God doesn't want anybody to go, then why do people go? Well, because they choose. It's, it's called free will. God couldn't make us love him, but he doesn't. In the middle 70s, mid-70s, there was a movie called The Stepford Wives. Does anybody remember that? It was a remake in 2004 or something like that. Okay, here's the premise behind The Stepford Wives. There's this uh, suburbia where uh, men marry women who uh, then are replaced by robots that look just like them. Except the robots do everything these men want. 
100%, they are there for their husband's uh, enjoyment and pleasure. Now, husbands, just think about it just for a second. Would you really want, would you really want someone to replace your real life, flesh and blood, challenging, sometimes difficult wife for a robot who is always smiling at your jokes, always cooking your favorite meal, always doing whatever she needs to to make you happy? Would you really want that? The answer here is no. <laughs> Let me help you. Uh, uh, no. No. You really, gosh, uh, I thought somebody would say, no, I was like, oh man, you missed your opportunity? Okay. <laughs> Jesus put it this way. The light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than light. And we know there are people who love darkness more than light. And you don't have to look far to see them. And it doesn't make sense to us. And, and you think to yourself, why are you like that? You ever said that to anybody or to yourself about somebody? Well, sure you have. I bet God has said that. Why are you like that? And in Romans, look at this. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Uh, God gave them over to the depraved mind. There is a point where God says, if that's the way you want to be, then be that way. He's not going to make you love him. And people go to, go to hell because they choose to not love God. Jesus taught a lot in stories. They're called parables. And he tells this one parable. It's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. Now, some people debate, well, was it really a parable if Lazarus um, is named? Because Jesus doesn't really name anybody in other parables. I don't know if it's a real story or not. But the point is this. There's a rich guy. He has good health. He's got it all going on. He's wealthy. He's got servants. And there's a guy named Lazarus, and he has nothing, and he has poor health, and he eats the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. And in the story, they both die. And then Jesus says this about the rich man. He says, in Hades or in hell, uh, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Something I had never noticed about this text before is that the rich man doesn't say, Father Abraham, I've changed my mind. Father Abraham, I really don't want to be here. Father Abraham, I would like to switch teams. I'd like to enter the transfer portal, you know. I want to go to a different side. He doesn't say that. All, all he does is act as if he's the center of the universe just like he was when he lived on this earth. He's still arrogant and entitled he wants somebody to do something for him, just like it was when he was on earth. It's not so much he hates hell, he just wants hell to be like it was on earth. 
He wants what he used to have, and that was he was the center of the universe. There are things that are true that I don't like. It doesn't have to be, I don't have to like it for it to be true. L- let me give you a couple of examples. Would you agree that criticism carries more weight than compliments? It does. I don't like it, but it's true. You could have a million compliments and one criticism, and where do you focus? You focus on the criticism. It, I don't like it, but it's true. Tell me if you think this is true, even though you don't like it. The other line always moves faster than your line. I don't like it, but it's true. Things always cost more and take longer than they should, than I expect. I don't like it, but it's true. Appliances always break down right after the warranty is over. I I don't like it, but it's true. Stuff that tastes good most likely isn't good for you. I don't like that, but it seems to be true. This rich man in this story is still haughty and arrogant and self-absorbed, and the lesson is he's miserable, but he chooses to be miserable. It's his choice. And and Jesus will use language like weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's sort of this, we, we think about it as pain. I don't think it's pain. I just think it's annoyance. People in hell are annoyed that they can't get what they used to have. It used to all be about them. And and now they they can't replicate that. They still want it to be all about them. See, we have this misunderstanding about heaven. Please listen to me. We think that heaven is this pleasure factory and I get to do anything I want to do, and hell is this place where I don't get to do anything I want to do. But the Bible never calls it the kingdom of Joseph, or the kingdom of Paul, or the kingdom of Chuck. It's never called that. It's called the kingdom of God. Heaven is where God is, and He is the one that is in charge, and it's kind of all about Him. In fact, the scriptures often talk about heaven being the place where God is. And we have this uninterrupted, unbridled communion with him. And if you have someone in your life that makes everything better, that's what it's going to be like to be with God. For me, that's Miriam. Whenever Miriam is there, it's better. It's just better. Uh, If I'm experiencing something great, you know what would make that better? If Miriam was there. If I'm I'm sick, you want to know what makes that better? Miriam being there. It's always better with her there. Heaven is us getting to be with God Always. It's not about, hey, I get to you know, play cornhole all day or I get to do this all day. It's about being with God. And I love Dallas Willard. He is this brilliant Christian thinker, much like C.S. Lewis. Uh, and he said, God will let anyone into heaven who can possibly stand it. Isn't that a great quote? Because you know who can't stand it? People who, don't, who can't stand God. They won't like heaven. Because the center of the universe is God. 
And if you can't get your mind around that, or you don't accept that, or you don't want that, then heaven really isn't for you. Because heaven is about God. Now people will sometimes say, well, you know, my uncle passed away, what, what, what about him? What happened to him? Or my aunt, or whatever. I've been in ministry 30-something years. I have several degrees. I've, been, I've done a lot of school. Here's my educated answer on what's going to happen to people that we have questions about. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I do know this. God is perfectly good. He's perfectly fair. He's perfectly just. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, Will not the God of all the earth do right? I think he does right every time. The third question is this. What will it be like? Can it be hotter than there? You know, is it, is it that? Is what, what is it like exactly? And we get a lot of our notions around hell from cartoons. You know, there was a Far Side cartoon a few years ago, and, and there, were, there was a line going into heaven and a line going into hell, and there was somebody getting them. And the only difference was this. They both looked exactly the same, but the guy standing at heaven said, Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And the guy uh, welcoming people into hell said, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. Uh, you know, so we, we get these ideas around this, and we see movies, and it's like this. And, and so there's this figurative language that's used in Scripture about, about hell. Um, people will say things like, you know, Mark Twain said this, I think it's funny. I'll take heaven for the climate and hell for the company. And the idea is, hell is going to be this place where all my buddies... We're all hanging out, we're, we're, we're pitching darts, you know, we're, we're, it, it is like this endless beer commercial, and it's just like being at Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. I can do whatever I want to do. It's just more for me. I get to be the center there. And so what will it be like? Well, it's best described as a place where God is not. Look at what it says in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. There is a shutting out. One of the primary pictures of Scripture around heaven is it is a wedding banquet. Now, uh, our associate uh, Josiah, he's about to get married. Uh, 55 days. 77 days. He knows. What does that tell you, man? Uh, anyway, all right. We all know what that means. Okay. 77 days. Hey, what's on the menu, uh, Sarah Margaret, for the reception? Well, can you give me one thing, something I'd like? No, no cheese? What? Bourbon chicken. Bourbon chicken. All right. <laughs> That's my people right there. All right. Bourbon chicken, all right, right on. Now, you all know how weddings go today, if you've ever been to one. You go to the wedding, and there's, you know, the wedding, and you got to dress up, and it takes your whole Saturday. I'm not speaking of your wedding. I'm just talking about weddings in general. And you go, and it takes forever. And uh, like, let's just be honest. Don't listen. Earmuffs, both of you two. Uh... We just go because there might be food later. You know, really, uh, really, that's kind of how it works. 
And so we go, and there's a party after, and it's great until the speeches happen. They're never good. Uh, and we go, and, and, uh, but, but, it's, but it's a party, right? And a lot of times you'll go to a wedding, and it's like, oh, it's so boring. But then you get to the food and the dancing part. You know, everybody's doing that line dancing thing, and they're, they're just all having a good time. I get in there, and I don't even know how to do that thing, but I'm just, uh, you know, whatever. And we're just... We're just dancing because it, so heaven is described as that. Now, 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 when, when Jesus used that imagery that heaven is like a banquet, think about it. These people in Jesus' era, unless you were really wealthy, you had little or nothing. You lived hand to mouth. You didn't have surplus. There were days you would go hungry. And I don't know about you, I've never gone hungry unless I wanted to. But there are people in the world today who go to bed at night and they've got nothing to eat. And maybe they had nothing to eat the day before. And they are looking forward to eating anything. I went on a mission trip to Tanzania. They eat a lot of corn because that's all they've got. And they make this corn mush, and they eat just lots of that. And they eat rice, and they eat lots of that, because they don't have much. Now, you live in that environment, but you hear, you circle on the calendar, that Sarah Margaret is going to have a wedding. And it's going to be whatever day it is, July the something. And you circle it. Is it July? Okay, good. Uh, It's July, and you circle it. Because you know, I'm not going to get much. I'm probably not going to get much between now and 77 days from now. But when there's a banquet, well, I'm going to get fed. And I'm going to have something good to drink. And I'm going to fellowship. And there's going to be a party. And this is what heaven looks like. Now, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who go through the gates into the city. He's talking about heaven. Now, uh, if you've ever gone to a gated community, what happens? You drive up, and there's, a, there's a, a, a station, a booth there, and somebody walks out, and they'll say, uh, Who are you? Why are you here? Who are you here to see? And then they'll check the list, right? They'll check the list, and they'll see if you're on the list or not. And if you're not, they'll turn you away. But if you are, what do they do? They open the gate. You hear the angels singing. And you go through the gate because you are in. And my wife, my wife is Swiss. And so when we were in seminary many years ago, we were invited to meet the new Swiss to the United States. We were invited to the home of the Bouvier Mulers. <laughs> y'all know any Bouvier Mulers? You don't. None of y'all know them. They lived in a gated house. <laughs> and we got the invite. And Miriam 
do you want to go? It's like, yes. Uh, we get to go to the Bouvet Moulaires. Or however you say it. Uh, yes. We drive up to the estate of the Bouvier Mulers, and they have valet parking. <laughs> I was in the hooptiest hoopty of all hoopties. I mean, the guy in front of me was in a Jag, the guy behind me was in a Maserati. Hoopty, I mean, I'm like right in the middle. I'm a hoopty sandwich at that point. I pull up, the valet says, are you here to work? No, I know. I'm not a, I'm not, you park this and try not to get a scratch on it. You know, that's what you say to a guy like that. And he parked my car, and there's Miriam and, and I, and I think we were in the best we had. I don't know if we dressed up or not. I, I, I think we actually overdressed. Everybody was kind of business casual, and we were, you know, all dressed up. And we go to the door, and the guy looks at us suspiciously, <laughs> like, um, May I have your name? And he did the nose like this. Uh, may I have your name? Because he saw who, what we pulled up in. And I said, uh, my name is Joseph. I am a guest with Miriam Schatzman Vest. You have to throw the Swiss name out there. You know, they're checking. It's like, you're on the list. You get in. He was shocked. He was shocked. And they push the gate open. I get to go in to the Bouvier Moulers. In their foyer, they had coats of armor. How many of y'all have coats of armor at your house? I don't. Been trying. Uh, we, we, they had a pool with a fountain in the middle of the pool. It was awesome. Uh, they had finger food. It's like where's the like where's the chicken? No, they had finger food. It was they had music playing. You want to know how I got in? My name was on the list because of who I knew. My name was on the list because of who I knew. And Jesus talks about this place called heaven and these gates and we get in not because of anything we've done in fact I got in because who I knew loves me and we get into heaven because who we know loves us Put our name on a list. That's the good news. There's bad news. Jesus said, outside are dogs. That word, that Greek word means people who are religious hypocrites, dogs. Outside are dogs and those who practice magic arts. And a lot of times, uh, the people who practice, practice magic arts used uh, drugs so a lot of times this has a connection with, uh, with illicit drug use. And they would get high and then they would have visions. And the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say everyone who loves and, and, and practiced loved and practiced. It's not what it says loves. 
in the middle of. They're doing it now. They've chosen not to turn away from that. The word Jesus used for hell a lot of times was the word Gehenna. It is this dump that's outside of Jerusalem, and that's where they throw all the things that were made and uh, that were used up. Nothing is made for Gehenna. You don't make stuff to put it in the dump. Sometimes some stuff you make ends up in the dump. I get that. But you make things to keep. God didn't make anything for the dump. In fact, it says nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God. When we get our name on the list because of someone who loves us, his name is Jesus, then we don't have to worry with such things. Now, there's this figurative language in Scripture, and a lot of people ask about that. What, what is the figurative language about? Lake of fire and uh, brimstone, darkness, gnashing of teeth. My understanding, my take on this, and people will disagree, it's okay. I'm just telling you what I think. There's figurative language used for heaven. It talks about pearly gates, gold streets. And there's figurative language, I think, used for hell. Darkness, fire. Darkness and fire hardly ever go together, so that kind of, it's almost like this has to be figurative, but maybe it doesn't. I don't know. And this symbolism is out there. But Jesus' first words were, let there be light. And it seems to me that hell is the place where Jesus and God is not. It's just where God is not. And frankly, the people that are there don't want to be with God. They are choosing not to be. Now, there's a question about, will it last forever, or does it cease? I don't know. The way it reads to me, it seems like it's eternal, but maybe not. I don't know. Again, I believe God will do the right thing. All I know is this, whether it stops or not, it's not really the place you want to go. And the good news is, it's not a place you have to go. So, why doesn't God give people a second chance? Have you ever wanted like a second chance? One time I was, I was uh, going to the airport. I had to catch a flight. And it's a little bitty airport, Muskegon, Michigan. The airport is about the size of this middle section. And so TSA, it takes, what, seven seconds to get through. And in fact, two of the TSI guys, TSA guys uh, went to my church. So they're going to let me in. So I arrived 14 minutes before takeoff. Do you know when they close the gates? 15 minutes before takeoff. So I walk up and I said, hey, that's my plane right there. I can see it out the window. That's my plane. Uh, you need to let me through and get on. Well, sir, the door has been locked and closed and locked and you can't get on. It's like, well, I can get on. All you have to do is unlock the door and let me in. It's just right there. I can see it. If you'll let me pass, I'll just walk right up there and get on. They, they don't like that. Uh, that's language they really don't like very much. And because of my arrogance, because of you know, my lack of preparation, there's the plane and I can't get on it. I had to wait a whole day to get on it. And some people think, well, if folks had a chance... 
But here's the thing about hell and heaven. Hell isn't so much about where you are, it's about who you are. It's about who you've become. Scripture talks a lot about us becoming something. We talk about this all the time. God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. Who are you becoming? Because we all have difficulties, we all have problems. Who are you becoming in the midst of the trouble? Because you can get holy, you can become more holy, or you can become hardened. Look at this scripture. It's sort of a warning to Christians. Encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deceptions. It's possible to become hardened and it's possible to become holy. Last question. Why is there a hell? And I think the answer is because justice demands it. In our spirits, we know intuitively that some people need to be punished. And if there's anybody, if we had a list of people who ought to be in hell, you probably have a list mentally, a Hitler, right? The guys who flew the planes into, uh, into the Twin Towers, uh, Mussolini, you know, you got a list, you got a, you got a list, People who take a gun into school and shoot children. People who traffic children. You have a list. People who sell drugs. We have a mental list because we, we intuitively believe that justice demands payment. In fact, that's why we get so annoyed when things don't go the way they ought to with the judicial system. And you pick your political party. I don't care which one it is. If you're a Democrat, you think there are Republicans getting away with murder. And you're mad about it. And if you're a Republican, you think there are Democrats getting away with murder. And you're mad about it because you know intuitively, you feel it in your bones that there is something about life that needs to be just. We want there to be justice. Dave Stone tells this story about uh, he had a car and somebody broke in and stole the radio. And he said, I laugh about it because the radio didn't work. And he thinks about it, you know, it's like, okay, this guy, he's got a hot radio and he's selling it to somebody and it doesn't work. And in his mind, he says, that's justice. That just seems just. The people who did wrong are getting what they deserve. Let's, let's backtrack just for a second to what Jesus said about hell. Then he will send those on his left and he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for people who are Evil? It's not what it says. It's not God's desire. It was never His desire. But the price for free will is that some people will choose what you would hope they wouldn't choose. Let's end with one verse. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. Their name is on the list because of somebody they love. Their name is on the list because somebody loves them. Their name is on the list. Jesus added my name to the list 
when I was seven years old. I still remember it. He wants to add everyone's name to the list. And his capacity to love people that I could never love, it is remarkable. I wish we never had to talk about this. I wonder if Jesus wished we never had to talk about this. But he did, and we have. And the question is, are you sure that your name is on the list? The Bible says if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe and confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. He's made it so easy to get on the list. It's so easy to get on the list. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message today, which has eternal ramifications. I pray that you would guide us to apply this to our hearts and our souls and our minds. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.